Uh, the Bible reading for today is from Acts uh, chapter 9, verses 1 through 31. Okay, beginning at verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to, to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. He replied, Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men travelling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind, and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias! Yes, Lord, he answered. The, Lord's, the Lord told him, Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street, and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this, is my, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he, is, he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name, on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful, and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. After many days had gone by, there was a conspir conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord, and that the Lord had spoken to him, and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, 
but they tried to kill him. When the believers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. Here ends the reading. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, it's great to uh, be online with you. I can see a lot of people out there. Uh, hello, Sue. How are you at home? Um, before we open God's word and uh, look at chapter 9 of, of Acts, and I hope you have it uh, in front of you, uh, let me pray. Heavenly Father, as we open your word, we pray that your Holy Spirit will teach us, that we will be encouraged, and that we will see the power that you have as the sovereign Lord of all. We pray, Father, that uh, after reading your word today, we may see how important it is to rely upon you and to see you as the King of glory. Father, be with us, be with me as I preach today. Amen. Acts chapter 9 is a pivotal moment in the book of Acts. If we look back at the beginning of chapter 8, we see that following Stephen's death, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Stephen was silenced because he preached that Jesus was the Messiah, and he was advocating a faith that deemed that the temple was no longer necessary. To Saul, the very idea of a crucified Messiah was an impossibility. It was at odds with the traditions of the church. It defied logic and all the teaching that he had received and the conclusions that he had reached about worshiping God. Saul was determined to rid the world of those who advocated that the Messiah was Jesus of Nazareth. And he began to systematically destroy the church, going from house to house, dragging off men and women and putting them in prison. Our passage today starts off with the word meanwhile. So what else was going on? Leading up to this time, Philip had preached the good news to the people of Samaria and more recently to an Ethiopian eunuch on the road to Gaza. As this was happening in one part of, of uh, the area around Jerusalem, a man named Saul in another part of Jerusalem was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples and seeking letters of authority from the high priest to enable him to destroy the Christian church. These two activities could not continue to exist in the same town. Something had to give, and it did, in a most dramatic way. If we skip over to the end of our text for today, to verse 31, we'll see how it all ends. This is what it says. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. Wow. 
from persecution and the threat of destruction, on the one hand, at the beginning of our chapter, to peace and encouragement and strengthening. What a turnaround. So what happened in between to cause this dramatic change? Well, Luke tells us that it was God himself who intervened and not in the way that anyone would have imagined. I want to look at our passage today under three main headings and they will come up on the screen. First of all, Saul, a surprising choice. Saul, God's apostle to the Gentiles. And what could we learn about God from Saul's experience? Let me go to the first point. Saul, a surprising choice. Over the years, I've been involved in recruiting many people for organisations. The usual process of selection follows a pattern something like this. Uh, you list the qualifications and experience for the job, you advertise, you receive, then you read the applications, shortlist people to be interviewed, select someone, usually in the interview uh, it's a panel of people, you check their references, you check their qualifications and you check other requirements of the job. In other words, you throw the net out and see who you can catch that might be able to do the job that you need done. Well, here we have an example of how God chooses a person for the work that he once done. There's absolutely no similarity between the two. Throughout history, God chooses people. Abraham, Moses, Jonah, Samuel, David, Solomon, to name a few, to carry out his plan. Jesus, when he's on earth, chooses fishermen, a tax collector, a political activist, and others to be witnesses to, the minister, to his ministry. We ought not to be surprised that God selects people differently to the way we do. For we read in Isaiah 55, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, says the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than yours. We pick up the narrative in Acts 9 as Paul is seeking letters of authority from the high priest, giving him permission to arrest and take prisoner any man or woman who are followers of Jesus. They are referred to here as followers of the way. They were then to be taken back to Jerusalem to stand trial. Saul had heard about a group of followers of Jesus about 300 kilometres north of, Damascus, of Jerusalem at a place called Damascus, and he was determined to arrest them and bring them to trial. Now, to give you some idea of distance that he was intending to walk from Richmond, the towns of Port Macquarie, Armadale, Dubbo, Juni, Cooma and Bermagui are about the same distance away as Jerusalem is from Damascus. If you care to walk it, it's about 60 hours walk along a dry and dusty road. I can imagine Saul striding out face towards his objective, obsessively churning away inside the purpose of his mission. He would have wanted to get to Damascus as soon as he could to quash this renegade group of blasphemers. As he neared Damascus at noon, we are told, a plan of action would have been firmly in his mind he was so determined, so focused and resolute 
that we'd never have expected what was about to occur. Suddenly, a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground. Then came a voice, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? I imagine that the voice of Jesus would have been forthright, clear and direct. He would have spoken with authority and purpose. His is a voice that no one could ignore. Saul's response was, who are you, Lord? He was aware, no doubt, that this was no ordinary event. Perhaps he was reminded of the occurrences in the past where God had appeared to his forefathers by way of a bright light or a burning bush. Whatever his thoughts, he knew that he was in the presence of someone who was mighty powerful, someone who conceivably held his life and certainly his future in his hands. The men who were with him were speechless. They heard the sound and saw the light, but saw no one. Jesus said two things to Saul. He told Saul that by his actions, he was persecuting not only the people who had become followers of Jesus, but that he was persecuting Jesus himself. Secondly, Jesus tells Saul that he is to go into the city where he will be told what he must do. Jesus doesn't seek Saul's permission. He doesn't ask whether he was okay with that. He didn't undertake any consultation process with Saul. He just told him that is what he must do. Jesus had taken charge of the situation and was moving forward. So we read that Saul got up from the ground and found that he couldn't see and he was led by his hands by those who were with him into the town of Damascus. After three days, the Lord instructed another person, this time a follower of the way, a devout Jew named Ananias. Ananias's job was to complete the action that Jesus started on the road into Damascus. In a vision, the Lord had instructed Ananias to go to where Saul was to lay hands upon him and restore his sight. The Lord also revealed to Ananias that Saul was his chosen instrument to proclaim the good news to the Gentiles and to their kings and to the people of Israel. It appears at this point in time that not even Saul was aware of his new role. Although fearful of Saul's ruthless reputation and what he might encounter when he met Saul, Ananias obeys the Lord, places his hands on Saul and restores not only his sight, but Saul is filled with the Holy Spirit. The outcome of this event is profound. The chief persecutor is humbled before Jesus. His life takes a huge 360 degree turn as he's brought to his knees before the risen Lord. All his plans to destroy the Christian church are in tatters. He's been confronted by the very one he was denying his eyes have been physically and spiritually opened to see the glory and majesty of the risen Lord. Saul had been filled with the Holy Spirit and could now see again. His conversion was planned, initiated 
and implemented by God himself. Now that Saul was a follower of Jesus, he was ready to do the work that God wanted him to do, to spread the word to the Gentiles according to God's plan. The second point that I want to uh, bring before you is Saul, God's apprentice, sorry, apostle, not apprentice, apostle to the Gentiles. At this stage in the Acts narrative, the gospel had been preached in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria. Just be, uh, this fulfilled part of what Jesus said to his disciples just before he ascended into heaven. There was still the outstanding matter of taking the gospel to the ends of the earth, a job that needed doing. At the beginning of his journey to Damascus, Saul had a particular objective in mind. By the time he had reached the city, God had given him a whole new objective, a whole new job. It was to be God's, he was to be God's chosen apostle to preach the gospel of the good news about Jesus, not only to Damascus, but to the rest of the world. After receiving the Spirit and spending several days with other believers in Damascus, Luke tells us that Saul at once began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus was the Son of God. God had recruited the antagonist to be the advocate, the persecutor to spread the good news, and the effect was immediate. Verse 21, all those who heard Saul were astonished. They said, isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who called on the name of Jesus? And hasn't Saul come to Damascus to take those people as prisoners to the chief priests? It seems that Saul's reputation had travelled before him to Damascus and all those in the city were anticipating that people who were followers of Jesus were about to be rounded up and marched out of town. And they were somewhat taken aback that Saul was now engaged in doing the very thing that he came to put a stop to. Saul had grown powerful in that he was even baffling the Jews in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. His preaching irritated the Jews so much that they plotted to kill him. The chief persecutor had become the one persecuted. The hunter had become the hunted, and Saul now feared for his life. He escaped those hunting him and journeyed back to Jerusalem, but not to the house of the high priest. Instead, his journey took him to the place where the disciples of Jesus were staying, with a view to joining them. But there was a problem. When the disciples heard that he was coming, they were afraid because they knew of his reputation and his mission to destroy the church. It took one of their own, Barnabas, to personally bring Saul to where the disciples were and to advocate for him before Peter, James, John and the others. Barnabas vouched for Saul as he told them the story of his conversion and how he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus in Damascus. Saul was now able to join the other disciples and set about with them preaching the good news of Jesus. We leave the narrative at this point with Saul setting off for Tarsus, which is in modern-day Turkey, taking the gospel out of Palestine on its journey to the ends of the earth. The rest of the book of Acts will deal with the gospel and how it was preached and how many churches were founded, how the churches of believers were established along the way. In marked contrast, 
to the turmoil and fear and persecution that we read about at the beginning of, our, of the chapter, it ends, as we have already heard, on a totally different note. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace, it was strengthened. They were living in the fear of the Lord and they were encouraged by the Holy Spirit and they increased in numbers. What a turnaround from facing the threat of annihilation to enjoying peace and being encouraged. So what can we learn about God from Saul's experience? The conversion of Saul of Tarsus is considered by many as one of the most critical events in the history of God's dealing with mankind. The narrative in the rest of the book of Acts is dominated by the missionary journeys and activities of Saul. In fact, Saul himself recounts his conversion on two occasions in other chapters in Acts. As the apostle to the Gentiles, he leads the way in taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. And if it were possible, we could trace our own Christian links back to this event through those who heard the word down through the ages to this present day. You could say that God chose Paul to spread the word so that we might hear it here in the Hawkesbury. As a piece of history, we can marvel at the connection we have because of the events of that day. We can also marvel at the way God works to fulfill his plan, using people to proclaim his word to the world. What we do need to marvel at is the absolute sovereignty of our Lord in the way that he works out his plans for us in this world. Saul was a learned man. He knew more than most about what was in the scriptures but he didn't know the author of the scriptures. He thought he knew what God wanted, but didn't know God himself. Knowing about God and knowing God are two different things. God can and will take charge of people's lives according to his own wisdom. He doesn't need others to convert someone. The conversion of Saul, the church destroyer, into a follower and advocate for the gospel was accomplished solely by God himself. It's a supernatural event by any measure. I'm sure that if I was to ask the question of you all, how did you come to know the Lord? Probably not the same way that Saul did. So great is God's power that he is able to take someone who is an enemy of his and bring him on his knees to be a follower. And from this we can see that no one no matter how opposed they are to the gospel, no one is beyond being converted by God. Our role is to continue to pray that God will exercise his power so that they may be converted. People who oppose the gospel are not our enemies. They are lost souls and we need to continue to pray for them that they may be saved. Now, I know there will be people listening today that would have members of their family, um, perhaps their spouse, people that they know who do not know God. Our job 
is to tell them about the gospel, but to continue to pray for them. You see, God selects people to fulfil specific roles at a particular time. Ananias was chosen to restore Paul's sight and to lay hands on him to receive the Spirit. Barnabas was chosen to be an advocate for Saul before the disciples in Jerusalem. The believers in Damascus and Jerusalem had Saul's back when others plotted to kill him. They helped him to escape. And in the same way, God uses people to assist others as they spread the good news about Jesus. Prayer groups, support for missions, the provision of material needs and other resources all play a part in delivering God's word to others. As we conclude this series on the first part of Acts, let us remember that God is sovereign. While we meet so many individuals through Luke's narrative, it is God who is always in charge. He uses the most unlikely people to spread the gospel. The impetuous apostle Peter, the murderous Saul, people like Stephen and Philip. All the while, it's God at work through and with people. And we are constantly reminded that God is sovereign in our life and in this world, even when we don't understand what he's doing. We can be confident that the Lord is building his church and pursuing the good of his people. And it is our humble privilege to have been chosen to be participants in his work of spreading the gospel to the ends of the earth. And with our sovereign God leading us, the spread of the gospel is truly unstoppable. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you most humbly that you have chosen us to be your people, using us to further your gospel for those, to those that we meet. We pray, Father, that we will never forget to rely upon you for the strength to do this. Father, hear our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.